Good to have. Turn your Bibles to the book of Acts tonight, the book of Acts. We are in the middle of our how-to series and uh, just answering questions. I uh, actually had uh, more than one person ask me to teach on this, and uh, so tonight we're going to talk about how to have family altar, how to have family altar. And uh, I know many of you uh, already in some form or aspect have family altar, and a lot of what I give tonight, we'll be talking about uh, those that have kids at home still. I know some folks, Brother, Brother Hunt, his, his are gone. And, uh, you know, but uh, the younger generation working with those kids, but even though the kids are gone, um, you know, you can still have family altar. The Bible says we're two or three. So just you and your wife uh, getting together and having family altar. The dynamic of our family altar has changed because three kids, two being gone wasn't that much of a change. But three being gone, that does change quite a bit, especially since we had a pattern where, you know, as far as prayer time, there was seven of us. So everybody took one day of the week and that was their day to pray. Now I'm praying a whole bunch. <laughs> I'm praying a lot of nights. And, uh, you know, it's just different uh, because the, the kids are growing up and, and heading out. So I know that things change. But we see here just kind of a thought with regards to the family in the book of Acts. If you're Acts chapter number 16, I don't know if I told you that. But Acts 16 is where you want to be. And uh, verse number 30 to 34, the Bible says... And brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And it's a familiar passage of scripture. I know you all recognize this. But he said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved and thy house. And they spake unto him the word of the Lord and to all that were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their stripes and was baptized and he and all. All his straightway, and when he had brought them into his house, he sent meat, set meat before them and rejoiced, believing in God with all his house. Over and over again in this passage of scripture, you see the emphasis given uh, talking about the rest of his house. Obviously, the jailer repented, but upon his repentance, upon his coming to Jesus Christ, he wanted his house to hear about this. He wanted the rest of the family to hear these truths. And this example of the gospel and baptism being brought to the entire house, all of them believing and becoming in, coming into a saving relationship with Jesus Christ, is the ultimate goal of a family. That, you know, has been said that the circle's not broken. That the whole family comes into the family of God and is saved. And what a joy is it uh, as a parent when each one trusts Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior and that you know that they're saved and they're on their way to heaven. And what a, what a privilege that is. When we meet Jesus Christ, he begins to transform our lives. We undergo great change, but that change should reach into our homes as well. Just as it did for this jailer who trusted Christ and then the rest of his home followed his example. 
Beloved, when Christ is invited into home, it brings transformation to that home. His presence means things are different now. It's the difference in a home between many times between it being a battleground and being a playground. It's the difference between just existing as a family and living as a family. The greatest thing that can happen is when a mother and a father heartily invite Christ into the home. Somebody said, family altar will alter your family more than anything else. Family altar will alter your family. It is something that I, of course, believe to be vitally important. It is one component or link in the chain that holds a family together. That keeps a family moving in the same and right direction. It's an opportunity to preach and teach the precepts of the God that you love and serve. To the next generation. So I want to give you just a couple of points tonight and talk about this, about family altar. I'm assuming that the streaming might not be working. If you guys want to check on that, Miss Lois is trying to get a hold of me. Uh, so just, I don't know if maybe the sound's not going out or something, just confirm uh, that that's working. And uh, she wouldn't be calling me during church if, she, if, uh, <laughs> if the stream was functioning, I'm sure. So... Uh, First of all, how important is the family altar or the importance of family altar? We see in the Word of God and familiar verses over in the book of Deuteronomy. I don't know if you want to turn there and look there or uh, just uh, write the reference down. But Deuteronomy chapter 6, you know these verses, verses 5, 6, and 7. He says, And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy might. And these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart. I want you to notice that it starts in the heart of mom and dad. It starts in your heart. It's got to be something that you believe, that's something you hold to, that you have available unto you to teach to your children. But he says, it shall be in thine heart, and thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children, and shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house, and when thou walkest by the way, and when thou liest down, and when thou risest up. Family altar will aid greatly in reaching and training the next generation. You know, a lot of churches spend a tremendous amount of money trying to grow. They spend a lot of effort trying to get people to come and be in the pews. But you know, our churches would be growing and not dying if all we did was reach the next generation. If all we did is find a way to get a hold of the heart of our children and keep them in church. It has been estimated that 75% of all church kids will walk away from God by the age 20. I mean, that's amazing when you think about the fact that they've been in church, who knows, some of them maybe since, since the nursery. And yet as soon as they're old enough, as soon as they're able to, they, they walk away from God. But I don't believe there's anything that will more directly impact the heart of your children than a consistent, faithful family altar or family worship, family devotions, time that you get together. You've heard it, the family that prays together stays together. 
I don't want to oversimplify it, but I certainly believe that your chances are far greater if you're praying together than if you're not. I don't believe that that's just a, a well, if we bow our heads and say, say a prayer each day that it's, gonna, it's all going to work out. You still have to live in a biblical manner and do what's right and work at your relationships and, and all of those things. But it's certainly going to be much greater and much better for you if you do. The greatest burden on your heart as a parent should be the salvation of your children. And there's no better way to bring them into a personal relationship with Jesus Christ than a consistent time with God each day. I think about Noah, who after a lifetime of preaching, didn't have one, one convert in his family. From a pastor's standpoint, save his family. Sorry, I misspoke there, but one convert outside, the, outside of his family. And from a pastor's standpoint, I look at that and I say, man, that would be so discouraging. That would be so depressing, so meaningless. But from a parent's standpoint, I would be that man. I would gladly be that man. I've known a number of pastors that very effectively grew a church, but lost their family. And I think about Noah and all that time and effort and trying to reach the world and and preaching the truth and the the judgment is coming and not one turned to Christ, but his kids did. His kids got it somehow and stayed with him. What a victory for him. How many Christians... Are in that place. A consistent walk with God is vitally important. The first thing that Noah did after he flood was older was done. You know, the very first thing they did is they built an altar to God. They got out of out of the boat, and the first thing they did is they had family altar together. Nobody else around. Nobody going to see them. But they worshiped God together as a family. That's true family altar. A time of family altar, it provides daily opportunity to impart biblical truth to your children and your mate. Thereby fulfilling the biblical mandate to teach them unto thy children. To teach all these things, the truths of the Word of God, to teach them. It provides that opportunity, it provides that framework to share that truth or to share that truth with your mate. I mean, let's face it, in all reality, in all honesty, biblical truth does not come up in casual conversation very much. It doesn't really come out in your day-to-day life and the, the things that you might normally be doing throughout a day. So by having a set time that you are going to focus on that, it, it opens the door, it provides a framework, it gives you an opportunity to share that truth, to shape the heart of that child or to share biblical truth with your mate, to talk about God's direction and and God's meaning and how important these things are for you. 
without a scheduled implementation of family altar, the fact is very little imparting of biblical truth would take place. Maybe none at all in most families. I remember a few years ago when Timothy and Andrew were getting to the age that I needed to discuss with them the birds and bees. I needed to talk to them about these serious matters, right? Now, I haven't had this conversation with Caleb yet, but my two older boys were getting to that place. I thought, well, I need to sit down with them and discuss this. So what I did is I did something that would build a framework that would open that door of opportunity for me. And what I did is I had Andrew, Timothy, and myself take a class on moral purity. And we took this class together. And then going through that class each day, the lessons, we were able to talk about those when we were done. And I was able to, as a father, be able to share my uh, thoughts an understanding of what they're facing at their time of life and what God's expectations would be for them, it built the framework to make that conversation okay. I mean, how do you, hey, son, <laughs> something I want to talk to you about, <laughs> you know, I, it's a little bit awkward. I mean, maybe it's not for you, but for me, and so it built that framework. And what I'm saying is many times, uh, just having that established time builds that framework. It builds that opportunity to just share biblical truth and it comes out and it can be such a blessing to your family. True family worship will do more to guide the life of your children toward God than anything else. What's described in Deuteronomy 6, 7 is daily activities, things that you do all the time. You know, as he says, you, you shall teach them diligently unto thy children. Thou shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house, when thou walkest by the way, when thou liest down, when thou risest up. These are activities that you do every day. These are things that are continually part of your life. He's saying, so here's the, what you need to be doing while things are continually part of your life. Something that should be there is the teaching of the word of God. There are many things in the word of God that point us to a daily walk with God, a daily sharing of that and the example of the bread that the Israelites were supposed to take up daily, God daily providing them exactly what they needed. Uh, we're supposed to pray daily. We're supposed to rest daily. We're supposed to labor daily. We're supposed to die daily. There's many examples in the scriptures where we have a daily uh, pattern working with God, and it's vitally important for us. It should never be a question of should we have family altar or family devotions together. But it's how can we do it more effectively? And this is what the question came from actually two of the members of the church here. How to effectively handle and have family devotions. First of all, you need to be assured in your heart and mind how important it is. Commander Rick Husband, who took command of the ill-fated Mission to Space on January 16th, 2003. Two weeks later, the shuttle, beginning its normal procedure of re-entry into Earth's atmosphere, just 16 minutes away from being on the ground and him being reunited with his family, you remember the shuttle, Columbia, broke apart. He and all of his Fellow crewmen lost their lives. 
What you might not know is that Rick Connor was a Christian. Rick Husbandman was a Christian. He loved God. He actually was an active participant in his church. He sang in a choir. Never missed except when he was in space. <laughs> he loved serving God. And what you might else not know is that before he left, for his mandatory isolation time and then ultimately to go to space, he, on a VHS, recorded daily devotions for his two children. He took time to record for them a passage of scripture, thoughts from dad. Just He said, I just can't think of you guys going the next 18 days without family devotions. It's important. There's got to be something that you believe in your heart and mind is important. Otherwise, there's always going to be things that get in the way. That's just the facts of life. You know that because life is crazy busy. You have to just establish in your heart and mind, this is what we're going to do. I want you to know that it can be a great blessing. If your kids are going to see righteousness anywhere, they ought to see it in the home. It's a time as a family just to sit, to talk, communicate with one another. I called Alicia and asked her. She'd been out of the home a couple years now, you know, away in college and such. And she's talked about how before when she came back, that one of the things that she missed was family devotions. Sitting together as a family and talking and, and uh, singing together and so on. So I called her today as I was preparing this and said, what would you say about family devotions? What would you say is the most important thing or how it impacted you the most? And she said, well, it's not probably really spiritual. <laughs> I said, well, what, just what comes to mind? And she said, really, it just the times that we shared with each other as a family. And many times our family devotions, although the structure of our family devotions is pretty simple, and I'm probably not a very good example of the right family devotions to have, because, I mean, I've, I've known of pastors that their kids had scripture memory they had to do every night. They had, you know, they had, you know, to read a certain number of chapters every day. And, I mean, there's a lot of things and I'm thinking, man, we, uh, I'm backslidden. <laughs> I'm not a very good Christian. Uh, my kids are not being pushed that hard. We have a pretty casual time, but we meet every day, point our hearts towards God, look at his word and pray together. But many, many times that family devotions, which could be done in about 10 minutes, I mean, read a chapter of the Bible, read a, read a chapter or, or just a few pages of a book, sing a song together and pray. I mean, it could be 10, 15 minutes, but many times that time together would turn into an hour, hour and a half. And I, I would, I, sometimes I'd say, listen, kids, we've got to shut it down and go to bed because we, got to, we all got to get up in the morning and just talking. Just share with one another. But if we didn't have that set time, it wouldn't be comfortable. It wouldn't have happened. We wouldn't have had that time to share. And so it can be a tremendous blessing to your family when you establish this and you make it uh, a continual part of your life. Very strong family bonds are established when you have family altered together. A child looks and thinks, how can I hurt my mother, my father, when they daily are going to battle with God for my soul, when they're daily praying for me, when they're daily carrying a burden for me as a child, and they hear you pray and so on. 
it, it brings strong family bonds. Listen, we only have our kids in our home for 20 years. Uh, you know, I mean, if we're lucky, right? They, I left home when I was 17 and for all intents and purposes, never really went back. Uh, and so that time comes very fast. And you guys know it better than I do. But I certainly am feeling it. And see, we have such a small window of opportunity to impact them. And so we've got to utilize it and take it and share biblical truths with them. Expect great things from God as you're, as you're having your family devotion time. God can do wondrous things with His truth. Um, I have a note here. Our family devotion times has been shared with because we don't miss. We have family devotions every night. Very, very rarely ever do we miss. I mean, it just it only takes a few minutes. So we just we just do it. Well, anyways, we do it even if we have company. And so we've had many, many people that are part of our family devotions. Uh, they've had lots and lots of we had, and the kids love doing that. They like having people over, especially like the ensembles when they're in town. We have them all come over to our house for family devotions. And uh, I have a note here from one of the ensemble students from this last year that he sent, and he said, Dear Pastor Patrell, thank you for the encouragement, the great blessing, and the hospitality that you've shown to us. It's truly been, it, true, it was a true blessing to sit in with your family through your devotions. I have learned so much watching that. I am praying for your family uh, as you continue to serve the Lord, Anthony, uh, and it was Anthony uh, from the New England Baptist Bible College, um, but he made some other comments in person while he was here. He said, you know, he didn't grow up in a Christian home. And he'd never in his life seen that. He'd never had the opportunity to be a part of anything like that. And it challenged him. And he told me even later when I saw him at another conference he was preaching, and, he's, and he brought it up. And he says, one day I want to do that with my family. And uh, so God can do great things. So implementing family altar. Now I'm going to get practical with you, and we're going to try and move through this quickly because I've got a lot to cover. But you need to have a schedule. Have a schedule. Have it planned. Life's busy, and finding time to do it is going to be hard. You need to find a time that will work for you and for your family. We, we always did it. When the kids were younger, we tried to schedule it for 10 o'clock at night. Why so late? You said, well, because we didn't want anything to get in the way of it. And a lot of nights we were still at church here until 9, 9.30, 9.45. I mean, we just thought, well, most of the time, 10 o'clock, we'll be able to do that. And sometimes we had family devotions at midnight, you know, but we shot for 10 o'clock. Now, you find a time that works for you, maybe at family dinner, if you do family dinner together, or uh, a time that you're together. Maybe you do mornings. Maybe you're morning people, and you say, well, you know what? It's going to work good for us to do it first thing in the day. And I think that's probably better. Uh, to do it in the morning. Um, but I know of a family, they did it morning and night. They're a lot more spiritual than me. <laughs> but they did it every morning, every night. Uh, because that's the example in the scriptures that they, they followed. They did it morning and night. So that's what this, this guy did. But, you know, at least once a day, find a time that works in your schedule, a time that you can be together as a family and everybody can be there. Um, place, uh, find a place that you can have things set up, that your Bibles are there, that you have a place to sit down, that things are ready. If you sing songs together, you have your little song sheets or whatever. You know, you don't want to get together and say, okay, we're having family devotions. Well, where's the Bible? 
well, well, where's the songbook? Well, where, you know, what are we going to, you know, you want to have things together and ready so that this is what we do. And, and you sit down and everything's prepared and ready. So have a time, have a place and uh, make sure everybody's there. Uh, it does tremendous damage if mom or dad have something else they're doing while the other is doing family devotions. Very rarely. Now, on occasion, like on a Saturday night, I may be studying and I just can't get away and I'll, I'll ask Mary, I'll say, I need you just to pray with them tonight because I, I've got to finish this. Uh, it Very rarely does that happen. I, I will stop studying and go have family devotions and come back. I'll, I'll quit doing whatever I'm working on and go have family devotions and go back to it uh, 98% of the time. But on occasion, there's been an occasion where I've said, hey, can you do it? But that's something that's so rare, the kids understand that it's, it's not the norm. It's not that dad doesn't think this is important. He has something he has to do. And uh, it's vitally important that you're both there because you're showing your kids how important it is. Uh, obviously, as the kids get older, they start having responsibilities. We've reached that point where kids are working and, and have jobs. And, you know, again, if you can work it out where they can be there, then try and do that. Sometimes they might, ha- you know, they might work nights, so you've got to do it before they leave for work. Or it might work out that one of the kids can't be there, but make every effort to have everybody present as part of the family for family devotions. So be consistent. Be consistent. This is very, very important. It's actually, I think it hurts more to say, hey, we're going to have family devotions and we're going to sit down and we're going to read, you know, five chapters of the Bible and and we're going to work on scripture memory together and we're going to sing three songs and and you do that for two days and then you don't do anything for a month. It would be better for you to read three verses every single day than to set these big, high, lofty goals about how you're going to have this great spiritual walk together as a family and only do it for one or two days. Keep it simple. But do it consistently. Do it consistently. Stopping in the last thing of the day, turn your hearts towards heaven. Be realistic. Sometimes, um, you know, you might have to be quick. I mean, we've come home from family vacation and got in at 2 in the morning. Okay, we don't tell, turn all the lights on and sit them all down in a row and say, okay, get out your Bibles. We're all reading a chapter of the Bible tonight, you know. No, at times like that, we'll keep it pretty simple. I'll read one verse of scripture, Jesus wept, and amen, <laughs> we're all crying, and, and uh, God said, you know, blessed be the Lord, and, and just read something quick, and, and then we'll pray together and go to bed. You know, you don't have to, you know, make it, you know, three points in a poem every night to be, be realistic when, when there's circumstances and things that come up, but be consistent. Really, dad should lead if he is home. Obviously, sometimes I'm out of town, but dad should, dad should be the one leading in family devotions. In Genesis 35, verses 2 and 3, Then Jacob said unto his household, And to all that were with him, Put away the strange gods that are among you, be clean, and change your garments, and let us arise and go up to Bethel, and I will make there an altar unto God. Dad was leading. It's, it's dad ought to be leading. Does that mean you're the most spiritual person in the home? No, I think Mary's more spiritual than I am. I really believe she is. But dad leads. 
And that means you're, you set the schedule. That means you say, here's what we're going to do. That means let's, it's time to have devotions. Let's gather in here. And I may even say, hey, Mary, can you read Psalms 1 tonight? And, and Mary can read it. Or I'll have one of the kids read it. But Dad's just leading, just kind of saying, here's the direction we're headed. There's a family. This is what we're going to do. And uh, just being a leader, this is very important. This is not, obviously, time for Dad to get all the things off of his chest that have been bothering him all day or all week. You don't want to make family devotions a come-to-Jesus meeting every night, you know. You don't want to make, you want that to be a fun time. You want it to be a time they look forward to and that they enjoy being at. And, and so occasionally, that's another thing that Alicia said. She said, you know, Dad, I always dreaded when I came to family devotions and I saw that look on your face. I knew you had something to deal with us about. And I only dealt with things that affected the whole family in family devotions. Never dealt with any, like, Alicia has an issue. I wouldn't deal with Alicia's issue in family devotions. But if there's something globally or family-wide that, listen, we need to deal with this. There's been way too much, uh, you know, criticism or there's been too much back talk or there's been whatever. We need to talk about this. And uh, I tried to couch those all, any of those conversations in love, but she told me actually on the phone today, she says, you know, I dreaded those conversations, Dad. She says, but I have seen since I've been in college now, I see kids dealing with things that in my heart and mind, I remember when you dealt with us in devotions about it. And she says, I look at it now and I'm thanking God that you took care of that in my life at home when it was just us instead of me having to deal with it here at college. And so you can deal with some family things like, hey, kids, you know, you need to be showing some appreciation and love to your mom. She does a lot of work. And, and dealing with that kind of a global thing, like, listen, everybody, you guys all need to improve in this area. And here's why. And kind of share those things. You can do that. Um, but don't deal with individual things. Don't make it an hour long preaching session. You know, uh, everyone should be a part. Everybody should be involved. Don't let the kids just sit passively. Uh, and not get involved or be a part of what's going on. Uh, You engage them by having them participate, like read scripture. If you're going to read a passage, everybody reads a verse or two or whatever. You engage them by, like like I said, every other night somebody else prayed, and they all got to pray and had their own prayer list and such, and we would do that. And then um, you ask questions, say, what do you think of that? Uh, When you're reading, you could read a passage of scripture. You can say, hey, you pick your favorite verse out of this passage. So you listen, and when we get done, you're going to tell me which verse you like the best. That's going to keep their mind engaged, and they're going to be looking so that they can tell you, oh, I like this one, and uh, just gives you something to talk about when, when you get to the end of it, but keep everybody engaged. Uh, this is a vital time where you teach your children how to pray, how to pray. When my kids were younger, it was not uncommon when we, don't, we would go on vacation and we go to a church. That uh, the Sunday school teacher would ask, okay, is there any kids in here that would like to close us in prayer? And my kids had no, they would raise their hand. No, I mean, it seemed like it happened a lot. And there was the only one in there that felt confident enough to lead a class in prayer. Why? Because they've been praying every week or, you know, more, more than once a week in family devotions and leading the prayer in family devotions. Teaching them how to pray. Occasionally, you might have to deal with some things, you know, talk to them, listen, to, 
you, what you were saying was not really doctrinally sound. It wasn't really, you need to think about God this way and help them to understand how they're, how they're communicating to God. You can adjust that, but you're working on it as you're, as you're training them, uh, praying together. Um, you need to obviously teach them to sit up and be respectful. Don't let them lay on the ground. Don't let them, you know, crash and, and just, they need to sit up, be alert. They need to be engaged, uh, not just passively sitting around there. So much is taught uh, without effort in this consistent family altar. I would encourage you to have variety, whether you're dealing just with kids or dealing just with each other. Uh, you need to have a plan, but then build room for variety in your plan. Uh, like, let's say you're reading through the Bible. You know, we, we've done that as a family. Then, then we adjusted it. Now, we took a while to get all the way through the Bible with the family. But then we changed the plan. Okay, now we're just going to read the Psalms. And we're going to read a Psalms and a Proverbs every day. Okay, now we're going to read through the New Testament, or we're just going to read the, the uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And here's our plan, but we're going to vary it. We're going to change it up. And obviously that changes and makes difference based on uh, what, how old your kids are. When our kids were really younger, you're going to think I'm really backslidden now. We watched YouTube videos. Okay, the kids are really young, but there are some YouTube videos, which are Bible stories. They're between 10 to 20 minutes at most, and just a small animated Bible story, and uh, doctrinally correct, uh, and very simple, and the little kids, you know, they'll sit down there, and they'll watch that Bible story, you know, a whole lot better than they're going to listen to you read Ezekiel, uh, you know, and it engaged them, so we let them watch a YouTube video on a Bible story, and then we would talk about it, and then pray together, you know, keeping it, uh, keeping it simple, but varied, um, you, different things as we're talking about doing different things. You can read through the Bible. You can read the Psalms or Proverbs. You can do different scripture memory. I would encourage you to do scripture memory based on whatever they're working on. Like if some of the kids are here in master clubs, you can have them memorize and work on the verse that they're doing in master clubs. What verse are you doing in master clubs? Okay, I'm going to help you memorize that in family devotions. We're going to look at that verse throughout the week. So you're not doubling up their work, but you're helping them with what they're already working on. Use the Bible stories. You can do Bible drills, you know, grab your Bible, teach them how to turn to the passages. They can learn how to do that, do Bible drills. Um, have Bible questions. Now, I don't know if we still have them in the bookstore, but years ago when my kids were real little, we had some, some cards. There were Bible cards. Each card had about five questions on it. Just from a, like it would say parables, and then there'd be five questions from parables. Or it would say Christ, and five questions about the life of Christ. And, and very basic, simple questions. And, I, and we used to use those every night in devotions. I mean, my kids were getting, you know, chapter content, brother. They're getting chapter content in family devotions every night, just asking basic questions. And, uh, you know, some of those off the top of my head, I couldn't answer. But doing them and reviewing them every night and, you know, just, hey, here's five questions. And the kids loved that. They loved, oh, they got that one. They got that one. Then they memorized them all, and it wasn't fun anymore. <laughs> so we stopped doing that. Everybody knew all the answers. And, uh, but we had those in the bookstore for a long time. If you guys, you know, we could get more if we need them. But um, you can play Bible charades, acting out the characters. Uh, use sermon books. Use object lesson books. Use biographies. Use daily devotional books. 
Um, now we tend to, the, the kids are a lot older, we tend to like read a biography or, or have some type of story we're, we're reading along with as a family and uh, adding that to the devotion time and that adds a whole other dimension and, and gets it into a practical part of life and, and makes it interesting. We're reading a great book right now. Uh, uh, it's called Climb. Um, I don't remember the author, but when we get done, I'm going to see if we can get it in a bookstore for, for you guys because they're just really good truths uh, shared uh, and just just some a lot of times <laughs> we'll get done reading. You can ask my kids. I'll be like, that's going to make a great message, you know. <laughs> and I'll jot down notes from our family devotions, and it's becoming a it's becoming a message here in a few weeks, right? And uh, you know, just little thoughts that that have shared from that from our time together. Um, so, you know, you can do those, but keep it varied to have different things. Obviously, you need to include the scriptures. That's what Deuteronomy 6, 7 is all about. Thou shalt teach them. That is the scriptures. You need to have sufficient scripture to provoke thought, sparing enough to not be too boring. Okay? Obviously, kids' are, attention spans are not that long, so don't, don't be too long. Um, and you need to keep it simple based on the age group that you have. I think that, for the most part, your devotion should be geared towards the youngest person present. Um, now, occasionally you might get over that and the youngest person kind of gets lost, but that shouldn't be every day because they'll learn to really not want to be there. <laughs> like, I don't know what's going on anyway, and they don't want to be a part of it, you know, like uh, John does in his electrical class, you know. <laughs> no. um, but you just learn, you know, keep it so that they understand what's going on. Keep it simple to the level of the kids, how old they are. Um, then... Obviously, you need to include supplication. Include supplication. John R. Rice stood next to a casket in Austin, Texas. The funeral. Uh, he was standing there trying to comfort or be a comfort to a young man who had lost his father. The boy spoke up to Brother Rice and he said, I believe that Dad was a Christian. I mean, I mean, he was but I would give anything to have heard my dad pray one time. What an amazing thing that a boy would get to the place where his father passed away and he had never heard his father pray one time. You need to include supplication in your prayer time. You need to pray. Um, It doesn't have to be long. But, man, it really encourages the heart of your kids when they hear you praying for them. When they hear you praying that they'll be strong and do what's right, that they'll resist temptation. When you, they hear you praying that they will uh, do good at their game, that they're going to go play the next day, or that they'll pass the test that they have, you know, that you're praying for them. You know what does them good? When they hear you praying, Lord, I know I'm not the best dad there is, but I, I want to be the best dad for these boys that you've given me, for this, these daughters you've given me. And I pray you'd help me be the right kind of father for them. Give me wisdom that I, that I don't have right now, that I might be the best father that they could have. You know? And you, they hear you asking God for that. They understand you know you're not perfect, that you're trying to do your best inside of God's help. And that is vitally important. You can use the uh, acronym ACTS. I know you guys know that, adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and supplication. You know, you can use that if you want. But listen, just praying for meals is not enough. You need to pray together as a family. Even if it's just a husband and wife. Now, you talk about 
your wife hearing you pray, Lord, my wife needs a husband that, that's strong. My wife needs a husband that, that leads spiritually, that's godly, that, that, that is, it has a spiritual mind. And Lord, I need, I need strength. My wife needs a husband that's not, uh, you know, his, he keeps his eyes away from the things of this world and has eyes only for her. And God, I pray you would guard my eyes and keep my eyes just for her. I mean, you're praying like that. It'll do something for your relationship, for your mate, for you, for your, for your just praying together. Pray for family needs. Let me encourage you to be real with your kids that they might see God answer, but you need to be wise as well. Your kids don't need to carry the burdens that God gave you as a parent to carry. I don't think it's wise to tell your children we need to pray that somehow God miraculously does something or we're going to get kicked out of our house next week and we're not going to have a place to live. Okay? What happens when you don't have a place to live? Okay, your son or daughter looks at him and says, well, God didn't care. God didn't do it. You understand there's a lot of other ramifications there. There's a lot of other situations. There's a lot of other things. You can't put that on a, on a child to, to bear that burden. But you can say, we have a need as a family, and we want to pray that God will answer this need. And tell them that, and then you pray together as a family, and then when God answers it, you can say, listen, look at what God did. Here's how God met this need. Um, you know, but I think a lot of times parents are unwise in giving adult burdens to their children. Um, again, teaching your children to pray as you're going through it. It obviously can't and shouldn't be just about your family. You need to teach them to pray for others. Often I would ask my kids, what, it, what are you going to pray for? What are you going to thank God for? And who are you going to pray for? So what is your need that you're going to ask God for? What is the thing you're going to praise and thank God for? And then who else are you going to pray for? What other burden, somebody else's burden that you're going you're gonna to carry before God when they're younger. And then, of course, as they get older, you have them build their own prayer list and start adding to it. And they'll have a lot of things to pray for. And let me just say, don't encourage vain repetition. That's, that's not biblical. Um, teach them how to talk to God. And then let me encourage you, in your, in your devotion time, include praise. Include praise. Uh, often um, leading them to thank God. Uh, we'll go around the room, and when they're real young, the rule was you can't say what you said last night, and you can't say what the person before you said. So if it's already been said, you can't thank God for that. So the first one goes, I thank God for mom and dad. <laughs> Second one goes, I thank God for a place to stay. You know, third one says, I thank God for the Bible. And when you have five, those last two are really thinking, <laughs> like, um, um, what, do I, what can I thank God for, you know? But it, it makes them think. And then they're hoping the next night they get to go first, <laughs> so they don't have to think so hard. But, uh, you know, just praising God. Uh, and that, of course, comes through in song. Another thing that Alicia said on the phone today that she really loved was singing together as a family. Just singing, and we'll sing two, three, four songs when everybody was home. The dynamic's a little different now with just two people home, and I know if it's just you and your wife, you know, maybe singing together is not, not, not the thing, but praising God together would be good. 
and maybe listening to a song that somebody else sings, you know, listening to a good CD or something like that. But a time of praise where we're praising God uh, should be part of your daily devotion time.